As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us now through your word. In Christ's name, amen. Children, you've got one of these in your bags. And um, you see here, it's a picture waiting to be colored that says, love one another. And uh, what I'd like you to do, what we'd like to invite you to do is to write down before you color the names of your friends. And then once you've written them all down, just color the picture. And then if you'd like, you don't have to, you can take it home, but then fold it up and on the way out, put it in the offering basket on the way out, and then we'll, we'll be praying for your friends this week. How's that sound? Does that sound good? And uh, any color will do, um, unlike any dream. But anyway, never mind. That's another sermon. We are in John 15. Um, last week, we looked at the first half, which is really can be summed up in how God initiates we respond, the Lord gives, and then we receive. And then the question, though, quickly becomes, what is he initiating? What is he looking to give us? Um, it just so happens that in COVID, uh, before moving to St. Bart, so present company accepted, uh, many people at the previous church would want to meet up with me over coffee and ask for dating advice. And the first thing I always said to them was, I'm not your guy. I've only gotten one relationship right, and it's with my wife. And even that, you know, and how we dated, I would not suggest that to anyone. And um, because I made a number of uh, glorious mistakes. But it always comes down to, and it, I guess it hits a point in dating, and we think we never have to address it again, which is the need to define the relationship. What is this, right? And as, as, certainly as marriages go on and as relationships continue amongst friends, amongst loved ones, having that understanding of where things are is so freeing, isn't it? And I'd like to suggest that's what Jesus is doing. He is clarifying expectations, I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship where the goalposts keep changing. I don't know if you've ever been in a church where you've never been able to figure out what they want of you. Or it seems they want everything from you. 
And it's just too much. I had a friendship um, with uh, a guy named Sam years ago now, and we used to exercise together. We got along really well, but there was a point where I realized I'm the only one putting any effort into this relationship. And I, I thought I'd do it, give it a test. Let's see if I don't initiate what happens. Nothing happened. And I never heard from him again. No, it wasn't that drastic. Um, uh, you know, it, it, was in, it was an interesting test. I don't know if any of you at the moment have friendships like that that are right at the forefront. Well, let's turn to John 15. It's, it's printed in, uh, obviously, your Bibles, of course, if you brought one, but also in your bulletin. We're in the second half. And I want to zero in on maybe one or two verses where Jesus is doing just this thing. He says early on in verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And this is where it gets confusing unless you've just finished a survey of the Old Testament, which says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It's a reference here to the Ten Commandments which were revolutionary in their time. Because for the first time in a polytheistic world, there was a God who gave his people the ability to know where they stand in relationship to him. You will know, he gives them clear expectations of how they can be blessed in their relationship with him. Or if they move out of that, they move beyond the scope of his ability to bless them. So if you stick within this, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Then he moves on to verse 12. This is my commandment. So again, as he's done before, he's summing it all up. How do you, what's a great way to know where you stand with Jesus? So helpful. So helpful in Dallas, where one of the preoccupations, maybe not here in East Dallas, well, probably, is this thing called image management, where we do everything to show all the right signs. I mean, who hasn't posted a photo of their mother on Facebook just to show the world they love their mother? You know, I haven't because my mother refuses to be put on display on social media, but and that's a good thing. But here's this thing. We need to know where we stand. Instead of trying to show every, the world that we're doing everything right. And this is what Jesus says. Sum it all up. If you love one another as I have loved you, you'll be in a great spot. And then his next line of verse 13, just look down there with me. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for them. Well, that's not a surprise, actually, in, in, the, uh, in, in a Mediterranean culture in the Middle East. You, you lay down your life for friends. That's called duty. That's called what you do. That's no big surprise. The surprise that is so arresting comes in verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. That's what would have rocked their world. Wait, hang on now. You're calling me a friend? 
For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Uh, The word here that Jesus uses for friend is kind of out of circulation in our culture today. It's it's the word philoi. I'm no Greek scholar. I'm sure it could be pronounced better. But from a Canadian living in Texas, that's what you get, philoi. And it's related to a verb meaning love and conveys a sense of intimacy that you don't have today often in the West. It's the language that Paul uses when he's writing to the church in Corinth. In the sixth chapter of his second letter, he's begging them for a fair exchange of hearts. For goodness sakes, we've laid our heart bare. All we ask is that you do the same in return. So this is the invitation. Jesus says his friends are those who obey him. And again, he's referring back to the, this idea of knowing where you are in relation to God. It's knowing how, uh, you know, it's a, rela- it's a direct um, inference to the Ten Commandments. But it's not a definition of friendship itself. But it follows, in this instance, given who Jesus is. And it really comes down to ordering your actions in such a way so that you're enabled to both give and give and give, and that's all you do in a relationship, right? Well, no. The relationship that Jesus invites us into is where we're empowered to both give and receive. Just as love for the Father and Son involves obedience, so does friendship. And verse 15, the emphasis here is on intimacy, on this fair exchange of hearts. His disciples are his friends because he's made known to them everything he's heard from his Father. Jesus brings them into his life from servants to friends. Why? Well, maybe only Esther of old could really understand what that exaltation felt like. As she, a servant girl who descended from captives, was suddenly promoted to queen. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father have made known to you. With this, the relationship has been defined and the attention of the disciples shifts. When Jesus defines the relationship, he did so by describing the difference between two positions. Servants really don't know what's going on in the master's mind. They don't have access to that personal, intimate realm of their master. They're task-orientated. Their obedience is their primary focus, and rightly so, for their lives depend on success in that area. Any Downton Abbey fans? Three? Well, well done. You'll get what I'm saying. Or Pride and Prejudice? Anything, anything English? I mean, tea? No, I'm kidding. The drama, or drama as they would say, is all about the interplay between what's going on upstairs and what's going on downstairs. Downstairs, they're piecing it all together. They have no access to the intimate realm of the people they're serving, but they hear snippets of gossip. 
They see the purchase of a new dress. They see the food order, the groceries come in. Um, Whereas upstairs, they're losing their minds over things that perhaps seem inconsequential, right? Um, But there you have it. There's a clear distinction. But friends have a different focus. And it almost sounds blasphemous to say that obedience isn't the top concern of a friend. But it's true, obedience isn't your primary preoccupation to your friend. I've got to do what they say. But there's a shift that happens. Obedience is important, as verse 14 highlights, but friends are less concerned about obedience or about disobeying than they are about disappointing. Because everything is running through the filter of the heart. Let me say that again. Friends are less concerned about disobeying than they are about disappointing. And the disciples' focus shifts from the commandments to the presence of God. It shifts from the assignment to the relationship. It shifts from what I do for him to how my choices affect him. Again, it's this idea of friendship as a fair exchange of hearts. And if you're in a relationship where you're putting all the giving into it and receiving nothing in return, that may be a very valuable relationship. But it's not friendship. Friendship is when you give and you receive. And when this happens... As I just said, it's less about breaking the rules or seeing how much I can get away with and more about how will my actions affect my friend. So a number of shifts take place. I've written down four. I know some of you like four bullet points. Here they are. Um, This is what changes in our hearts as we embrace this place of presence, of being present to God. What we know changes I order my actions in a particular way towards my friends. My heart for them is that on their worst day, they never question whether I'm for them. I want them to know this. I want them to know that I'm with them all the way. What is more, with friends, I become interested in what they're invested in. In fact, I immerse, we immerse ourselves in the interests of our friends. Why? Because in true friendship, what matters to my friend matters to me. What matters to me matters to them. Our experience changes. It isn't so much, oh, I've got to go visit with them for an hour. It's about spending time. In relationship to God, it isn't about trying to put the time in. You set the timer for 30 minutes of devotion time. It's more trying to move into a time where you connect, where there's an encounter, where his heartbeat begins to affect our heartbeat, where in my experience, obedient Bible reading and obedient praying becomes transformed into, as we sang earlier, just knowing his affection and being taken to a place where I'm expressing my affection for him doesn't come naturally to me. But that's, that's the aim. 
And then when things begin to matter, we realize that the things that matter to us matter to him. It changes everything. I remember one time years ago now, we were in England. We had very little money. And we had to undergo um, the worst opening to the best hymn ever, crown them with many crowns, right? You have to have these crowns put in. And it's going to cost money that we didn't have. And uh, we stopped, and in the kitchen we were in, we prayed. We said, Lord, it's like the Jerry Maguire prayer. Such a spiritual movie. Lord, show us the money. We need this. And in England, you can send a card with a first-class stamp, which gets there the next day, or you can send it with a second-class stamp, which gets there four days later. And as soon as we finished praying, in through the door in the letterbox dropped a, a card, and we opened it up from a friend. It was sent with a second-class stamp. So four days before we needed crowns put in our teeth, God put it on the heart of a friend to send us the exact amount of money needed. So that the friendship, the scope of friendship that God has with us is that before we know that we have an issue, he's already begun to put the solution in place. Why aren't those prayers answered more quickly? The other side of it is, is that the Lord Jesus since the beginning has chosen to make his presence on earth known through collaboration with his people. And sometimes, myself included, when God asks me to do something, I don't do it right away. Oh, yeah, I should send them some money. And, oh, well, maybe I'll do it Monday. And I forget about it because I forget about all kinds of things. And it doesn't happen. Meanwhile, somebody over here has just been praying, said, Lord, we need something. And, you know, the Lord's asked me to take care of it, and I haven't done it. So if you are waiting for God to come through, just ask him also to speed up the people he's asked, you know, to be the answer to your prayer. I've learned that as well. Um, but our function in life changes as well. Instead of working for God, we work with him. We work with him. We work not for his favor, but we work from a position of his favor. And in this position, he entrusts us with more more influence, more power, and we're naturally changed into his likeness more and more. Why? Because his heart and what he's like rubs off, rubs off on us. We're still who we are. We're just different. We're just more better, as the great theologian said. And then our identity is changed. Our identity sets the tone for all we do and all we become. Christians who live out who they really are tend to be buoyant in the face of public opinion. They don't work to fit into other people's expectations, but burn with the realization of who the Father says they are. Who does he says? Who does he says? That's awful grammar. Who does he say we are? No longer do I call you servants. We're no longer downstairs. We're moved upstairs and we have immediate access to the intimate realm of his life. I call you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. Back 
in January, early January, uh, a mother was coming out, of adult children was coming out of the service, and I could tell she was upset. You could just read the eyebrows by now when you, you know, you could tell when eyebrows were upset. And we stopped and I asked her what was going on. And her heart was broken over um, one of her children. And she said, all I need is for my child to come home. And they don't want to come home. And I know if they can come home and get linked up with an artist, they'll be fine. And so we just prayed off the cup. Let's, let's pray it in. Let's do this. We prayed it in for a week. And then the child came home. And then not only did the child come home, but where are we now? May, five months later, that child has connected with an artist. And they're both artistic. And that child has moved from a place of utter destitution to one where they're absolutely thriving. That's how he works. And on Mother's Day, you kind of have to say that mothers know best, right? Well, that was, I just added that in. So I don't know where you, how you hear this, these things that I've said, um, which are from the Father through the Son. Maybe you've been in a relationship with shifting goalposts, part of a church where you don't know where you stand. Well, that's not this church. One of the things we're doing, you've heard about it. If you're visiting, you're forgiven for not knowing about it. Uh, very shortly, in the second half of May, we're going to start what we needed a name, so we're going to call it Connection Groups. And using this illustration from the Scriptures of a fair exchange of heart, the goal is, for me as the interim rector, or whatever the title is, is to meet with all of you in groups of ten, to hear, to listen, to hear your dreams, to hear what you're thankful for, so that we can pray and start working towards that. And you'll be able to ask the questions that I'm sure um, we never have the chance to talk about. Because that's, we want everyone to know exactly where they stand here in the church. To be able to worship and be free and be empowered and emboldened to receive as much as you can. And then to give as much as you can to the Lord as he calls you. Maybe you're longing to move from a duty-bound relationship with God to one where it's, it's that idea of intimacy, of a fair exchange of hearts. Maybe you're longing to discover what it means to live from his position of favor than trying to earn it. <clears throat> Perhaps there's one of us, not including me, who would love to be free from the expectations of others. Well, let's spend a moment of, in prayer, shall we, and do a bit of business with God. If any of that resonated with you, let's, let's pray before we, we move on to the rest of the service. You may just want to bow your heads or close your eyes. Lord, we come before you as a community with the realization that you call us friends. And some of us have known that friendship for a long time. For some of us, it's fallen on fresh ears. Would you now lead us deeper into discovering what that friendship means? Help us to discover what it means for our family. Help us to discover what it means for our friends, 
Help us to discover what it means for the workplace. Thank you that you lead us into all truth. Thank you that your heart is that we would know exactly where we stand with you. So would you come, Lord Jesus? Thank you that you lead us into this in community. And we thank you for this church. We ask that in the quiet of our hearts, as we share with you the longing of our hearts, that you'd receive that, and then you would begin to speak into our hearts the longing of your heart. And we thank you that you no longer call us servants, but you call us friends.